Hello, all you beautiful people. Welcome to Beyond the Mat. Hey yo, welcome to Beyond the Mat, where it's all about the things and stuff. It's like this and like that, sitting in a lotus seat. We breathe deep from our heads to our feet till we feel inner heat. A little bit of rhythm for your soul. Stretching out your minds from your head to your toes. We in our flow state. We don't know no hate. We end up feeling great though, so, so we, we correlate. Coil snake gonna rise sunshine. We take our time to appreciate divine grace. It takes place in a pace in the inner states. From a country road down to the interstate. We contemplate this. We here to make this. We here to break this. But we never fake this. We never hate kids, we in the love vibe. Me and my whole tribe, we gonna try to be fly with the sunshine. Today's show is brought to you by my new book, How to Calm the Bleep Down. I don't wanna curse on this podcast because it was so beautiful that I feel cursing will sort of degrade the amazing conversation that we just had. If you are interested, and learning a few techniques on how to calm the bleep down. For one, listen to this podcast. And for two, head on over to jcoleyoga.ca and buy a copy of my ebook for only $5. That's $5. $5. Or you can pre order a physical copy, and once they are printed, it will be delivered to your door. Today's guest. Ladies and gentlemen, was such a sweet lady. And after some technical difficulties with the robots trying to take over and losing the battle, we went back to the old school way of doing things with a telephone. Yes, a telephone. People still use those things. It's amazing. You can hear each other's voice from far away. Imagine that. I'm talking today with Maggie Kelly, who runs a meditation center called Satsang House in California. Maggie is a spiritual meditation coach. She trains students in the ways of meditation. She is a Chopra-centered certified instructor. That's Deepak Chopra, folks, certified. Maggie has been meditating for over 12 years and she is indeed a true yogi. So please make some noise quietly for Maggie Kelly. So welcome Maggie Kelly to Beyond the Mat. Hi there. Hello. <laughs> oh, we finally we finally made it happen. <laughs> yes, we did. Here we are. No thanks to uh, the robots. Supposedly they're taking over, but I'm not seeing it. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, geez, you know what I saw today? I saw a robot lawnmower. Oh my goodness. It's exactly like That's those hurt. it's like those Zumba machines that go around in your house and collect the dirt, only it's a lawnmower and it's out mowing this guy's lawn and it, it picks up the pieces that it mows at the same time. It just kind of runs. Oh my gosh. It runs all the time. <laughs> so his lawn is constantly the same length. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Maybe they are taking over. Maybe they are. <laughs> Maybe. George Jetson on the way. 
hey, I'd be okay with that. They used to have those conveyor belts that would move everywhere in the city, like moving sidewalks. That was always the coolest thing. When I was a kid watching yeah. Jetsons, I always wanted that. I didn't care about anything. Oh, and flying spaceships. Flying cars would be cool and moving sidewalks. Yeah. I'd be happy with those two. So, Maggie, you have yeah. a meditation house in California. Yeah. That, to me, sounds like you are living some kind of dream. I am living a dream, truly. I am. I'm very, very blessed. Amazing. I teach, I'm a life meditation and spiritual wellness coach in the San Diego area. And um, I was trained under Deepak Chopra okay. and have a certification to teach meditation. Right. And um, sort of decided to turn my home into a meditation house because it is gorgeous here. It's full of flowers and an orchard and lots of birds. And wow. I am one lucky lady. San Diego. So what is the landscape like in San Diego? Because I lived in Los Angeles for a year, and that's my only kind of uh, idea of what California is like. And I'm guessing since you have oh. an, or an orchard that yeah, it's not you all... You poor thing. Yeah. You poor thing. Um, I lived in L.A. for some time, um, and there's a lot of cement in L.A. Yeah. And there's a lot of cars. And where I am, I am fortunate enough to have a little over an acre right. of land. Right. And I'm about a mile from the beach. Right. And I spent several years re-landscaping and redoing a lot of the property. And the, the house is 1948 house. Oh, wow. And um, I kind of customized it into what it is today. And it um, it is my dream home. It really is my soul, heart and soul. That's awesome. Yeah, lots of greenery, lots of birds. I have an orchard full of fruit. So what? Tons of flowers. What? Uh, what grows in your orchard? You got like apples and pears. Have no pears. I have apples, plums, nectarines, peaches, lemons, limes, tangerines, avocados, macadamia nuts, and mm. apricots. Well, I can eat like three of those things. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing that wacky ketogenic diet, so it's uh, low, oh, low, low carb, high fat. So I could eat your, the nuts and the avocado just fine. Uh, actually, I, I started last November. I did like a, oh. I did a ninety day trial. I did a thirty day trial, which led into a ninety day experiment, and I loved it. Works for me. I know it's not for everybody. I'm a very boring eater. I'm not about flavor, so. It's really worked out. I eat kind of the exact same meal every day of my life. Mm -hmm. But it's what works. It keeps me at my optimum, and it is what it is. Yeah, but, you know, I did. I just um, have been on an Ayurvedic diet, which is an the ancient traditions of Ayurveda go back to about 5,000 years. And there, the diet is based all around combining foods the sweet and the sour and the astringent and the, um, all that kind of different kinds of flavors. And also it's about, um, managing the time of day that you eat. Right. The theory being that your digestive fire is hottest between noon and two in the afternoon and to eat your biggest meal before two. 
so that your body has time to digest it before the next morning and then just eat a very small meal at dinner time. And um, I'll tell you, I've lost, I lost eight pounds that, you know, for me is a lot of weight because I'm really, really tiny. Yeah. Oh, eight pounds. I feel better than I felt in, I can't even tell you. I have more energy. I sleep better. Just all of it because my diet was not that great before. It was just kind of, too much sugar and too much, too much. Too much of too much excess for everybody. I hear. Yeah, exactly. Um, so so with, yeah, your diet is the place to start, isn't it? It definitely is. I mean, you can go to the gym all you want, and you can do all the cardio and all the running, and nothing's going to change if you don't start with what you're putting into your body. I mean, you're taking outside stuff and putting it inside. And then you can move around all you want. And if you don't put the right stuff inside, it's not going to change. I mean, a little bit, but it's going to, it's going to, you know, you're going to yo-yo up and down. Um, so with, I just have a question exactly. with Ayurvedic diet, is that kind of like um, where it deals with heating foods and cooling foods? And I'm talking energetically. No, no, it's not about, it's not about going gluten free or any of that. Really, the only big prerequisites are to give up alcohol, caffeine, right. whole fat, dairy, um, any kind of crackers and processed foods, and then to, to completely stop all snacking. Right. So to plan your meals, so again, so that that largest meal is in the middle of the day and then eat smaller meals in the morning and the evening. Hmm. Allowing your physiology to just take its time hmm. and then, um, you know, not overworking your body and not eating anything past 7 p.m. Right. That's a big one. Uh, like so that, the, the intermittent yeah, so, fasting yeah, seems to work the best. Yeah. So you have your 12-hour fast. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I really, really like it. I think it's great. It makes a lot of sense and you don't really have to give anything up except snacking. I mean, I don't drink coffee anyway, and I don't drink alcohol anyway. So those weren't hard for me. Uh, The snacking was the hard part to give that up. Uh, See, for me, uh, coffee is probably the hardest, and I haven't given it up 100%. I only allow myself one coffee per week, and it's only on the weekends. So, uh, But I got to tell you, when Monday rolls around, I'm so tired. I'm so groggy and my body's just like, you need some coffee. And I'm like, no, I can't do it. And it's a fight. It's a fight for about three days till Wednesday. Well, one, till why Wednesday. don't you go to some tea? I do. Great I, caffeinated teas and Earl Grey or something like that. It's yeah. a really great I, little, I, little boost of caffeine without it being so hard on your system like coffee is. Yeah. I do that. I, um, I cut out all the caffeine though. And I have this... um. There's this blueberry tea with ginseng and ginkgo in it, and it's just like kapow. It just catapults your consciousness into an extreme state of alert, awakeness, ready for anything. And it's (laughs) amazing, amazing stuff. And I drink that in the morning just to get my day started. But there's no caffeine in it. Mm -hmm. There's not really much stimulus in it, uh, but it it really gets you going. And yeah. yeah, then in the evening, I'll have like a, a an herbal caffeine-free, most herbal teas are caffeine-free. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, no eating after 7.30. And, mm-hmm. but I, geez, I, I've cut out all, because I was doing kind of like what you said with um, 
just the smaller meals and the larger one. And then I, I even cut out the smaller meals. So I just do one, one large meal. It's not even that large, really. Uh, just one meal a day now. Um, and also I'm doing a vegan ketogenic. So it's, I don't know, it's some kind of weird extreme thing. And uh, geez, I've talked about this to death on this podcast. So if we, <laughs> if you want to talk about something else, it's definitely, it's cool to move on. Yeah. <laughs> um, so meditation, what made you like decide to get into, and I don't want to call it a business, but the business of meditation? Well, um, I have a 16-year-old son, and when he was born, he was diagnosed with cystic fibrosis, which is a genetic and chronic and life-shortening and progressive disease for which there's no cure. And at that time, I just kind of felt like I got hit over the head with a frying pan. I didn't really know what to do with myself. And I felt... Is that your dog? That is my dog. She's just starting to... uh, She knows we're recording (laughs) is what's going on. (laughs) Um, Um, And I just kind of went down crazy street after that. I just kind of... um, you know, I felt as though I should know what to do and I should fix it and I should, you know, have the answers and I don't and it's not up to me and I'm not in control and I'm not in charge. And really, all there is to do is for what there is for me to do each day. And I didn't quite get that until I just I woke up one morning. And I was just like, I can't keep living like this. I was nuts. I was hyperventilating through life is what I like to call it. Cause that's what it felt like. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, um, no, I didn't want to live like that and I didn't want to be that kind of mom. And so I remembered having read a book in college written by Deepak Chopra and I, I reread that book and I realized in the back flap of the book that he actually has a center for well-being in San Diego, not 15 minutes from where I live. So I put myself into one of his courses, and inside of every course that he teaches, he begins the process of teaching you how to meditate. And that's how I got hooked, and that was the impetus towards me continuing to meditate. And I've been meditating now for 12 years, and I can honestly say I'm nowhere near the same person I was then. I'm calmer. I feel, you know, totally centered. It's really about recentering yourself in body, mind, and spirit. It is true. It, and most people don't realize that meditation is actually one of the eight limbs of yoga. Right. And, you know, the first limb being the yamas, your, your personal behaviors and how you comport yourself in the world. And then the niyamas are your social behaviors and whether or not you're taking care of animals and plants and vegetables and things like that of nature. And the third one is the asanas. Or, or sorry, the third one is the pranayamas or the breathing techniques. The fourth ones are the asanas or the actual yoga practice that most of us believe is all there is to yoga, which is going to yoga and getting on the mat and doing your postures. Right. The asanas are only one of the eight limbs of yoga. And then behind the asanas come the other four limbs of yoga. And every one of those final four have everything to do with meditation and the practice of meditation. And what that practice then helps elicit in you, in body, mind, and spirit. So I got hooked. I really got hooked. 
because I could see the huge shift in my life and who I am and what I wanted to create for my life and my family. And instead of living inside of this nutcase, you know, crazy world that we live in, I'm able to shove in every single day, a half an hour, twice a day, every single day to meditate, which just gives me a time out from my stress and craziness. That so that's is... it in a nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> that's quite a story. Um, yeah. Uh... And so I've been taking a bunch of courses and studying under Deepak Chopra for several years and finally decided, you know what? Stop taking the courses, take the course to teach. And so I got certified as an instructor a couple of years ago, and that's when I opened my home into a meditation house oh, cool. in 2016. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's, you know, talk about living your dharma. <laughs> I'm totally living my dharma. Finally, you know. I, I, I ask my students a lot, you know, who are you? What do you want? How are you best suited to use your gifts and talents to serve humanity? And what are you grateful for? And, you know, if you get still and you just ask yourself those questions and you just wait, the answers come. You'll hear the answers. But for many, many years, I never heard a single answer. I just sort of bypassed the question like it was something to do. Mm. And finally, one day, I actually heard the answers. Like, you know, this is what you're supposed to be doing. You're supposed to be giving away this piece and you know, serenity to other people the way you found it. Right. And so, you know, that's, you know, that's living your dharma, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, geez, it's hard for a lot of people to get to that point, you know, where they're hearing that, mm. you know, I mean, a lot of us just spin our wheels in the mud our whole lives. And not that there's anything wrong with that, um, because we all kind of are where we're supposed to be. And even if it's not where we want to be, we're probably where we're supposed to be maybe for someone else without even realizing it. And that's right. Um, I guess Well, I think we think we think we are the roles that we play. Like if I ask you, who are you? Predominantly, people will answer with something like, well, I'm a mom, I'm a dad, I'm, I'm a stockbroker, I'm, you know, teach, yeah. teach fourth grade. <laughs> but really, that's not who we are. No. Who we are is not the roles that we play. That's just, just something we do. Like yeah. right now, I'm talking to you. I'm in the role of a, of a podcast guest, right? <laughs> and an hour from now, I'm going to be a cook because I got to make dinner. Yeah. And, a few, and tomorrow, I'm going to be a teacher because I've got some students. Yeah. But that's not who I am. Who I am is much bigger than that. And how the question of how do you how am I best suited to use my gifts and talents to serve humanity is the one we all should hope to answer before we get to our deathbeds, right? Right. I like to answer I for one I yeah. I always like I like to tell everyone whenever they ask that question, like like who like who are you? Because what they're trying to get is like, what do you do? And it's like, they want some kind of profession mm -hmm. or job. And my new thing is that, oh, I like to say, I'm a human. Or I like to say, oh, I exist. Yeah. I, I exist. And it makes a lot of people upset. They're like, no, that's not what I'm getting at. Be more specific. Blah, blah, blah. And uh, 
I guess one of the ruder answers that I'll give as a rebuttal after like three or four of these silly ones, I like to say, I when they want a job, they want a function out of what you do. I say I make pee and poop. You make what? I make pee and poop, and usually just it usually just shuts them down and they they leave me alone after that. It's just kind of a silly answer uh, to give people. Um, because everyone does it. We're all here. We all exist. We, we all, you know, we all consume and we all it, get rid of some things that we don't need anymore from our body. And people, it's funny when you bring someone into that moment, like the looks on their face is just the, the shock and the horror. And they just can't believe you said something like that. But it, it holds such a profound truth because everybody does it. And that it really is what what we're all here doing. Everything else is extra. Everything else is made up. And everything else is, you know, human constructs uh, to make life more difficult, <laughs> but also more beautiful in, so, in some aspects as well. What else? Did I lose you? Yeah, yeah. Hello? Are you there? Have... Yeah, there we go. Yeah, I'm here. Hi. I kind of went off on a little tangent there. <laughs> um, mm. I hope you got all that. Yeah, I, I did. So uh, where were my, my notes here? Um, I recently wrote a book about meditation. Um you did yeah uh so geez i started meditating when i was nine years old and it was just a way to get away from my brother and sister and all the fighting and bickering when we would go to my grandparents cottage at the summertime and there'd, there'd be all these fights and i wanted to get away and i would go and sit on this rock and meditate i didn't know what it was i didn't know what i was doing i saw uh you know ninja movies and they would they would meditate and then the Ninja Turtles, they, they would meditate. <clears throat> and I would just go sit, cross my legs, and, and have some peace and quiet for a little while. And so uh, so I've been doing it for a long time. And enough people had been asking, like, oh, can you teach me how to meditate? Can you teach me? So I was like, all right, I'll do a workshop, I guess. And so I, I spent a few months developing this workshop with like a PowerPoint presentation with slides and the speaker's notes and everything. And probably three people showed up after, you know, like, I don't know, 80 or so people asking me to do this. And then, um, so no one was showing up to these things. So I thought I would rewrite it into the form of a book. And then after it being rewritten into a book, it, I kind of had that weird feeling like, okay, this thing is written. You're preaching to the choir. It's meditation stuff written for other people who maybe already meditate and i'm kind of thinking like that's not really going to do much good in the world i wish i wish i could aim this at some kind of target market at some kind of demographic and so it was probably like a year later i was walking by a construction site and i heard these two guys fighting and they were throwing hammers at each other and cursing and it just hit me i said these are the people right here you know the, the blue collar workers 
the, the everyday Joe, they need this the most. And so that's when I sat down, I rewrote this book for, the, I guess, the third time and totally just aimed it at the, you know, the regular, the regular guys of the world. And so that's how, uh, that's how the whole thing came to be. And I just got my like ISBN number about two weeks ago and I'm ready to look into some publishing, made a little PDF ebook right. for ebook for online. And, uh, yeah. So the ebooks out there on my website and, uh, awesome. I just hope that I, you know, I feel like it can reach, you know, enough people to like actually make a difference and not just be, yeah. Not I just... mean, even if it's only one person, it makes a difference, you know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It really, you know, that's how I feel about teaching, right? Yeah. Even if I just change one person's habit and they become a meditator, yeah. I've done, I've done it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and then you, you, it makes you feel, I mean, it's not about you, but <laughs> it definitely makes you feel so good knowing that you've helped uh, increase the, the vibration of humanity in a way. And uh, have well, you- Well, I mean, my vision is to create world peace one person at a time. The, the other thing, um, and- have you heard the study about where they took 2,000 meditators and- how like the crime rates would go down in like a city. They would, they had two, I think 200, oh, yeah, 200. Yeah, I also saw something about kids, uh, sending the kids that were disrupting the class into meditation yeah. as opposed to detention yeah. and how it completely shifted them. Right. But um, so for the, it, it changes something and it doesn't change just the one kid. It changes everyone kind of in the room or in the vicinity because exactly. when, the, when the 200 people well, because... when when 200 people are meditating in one one town like all at the same time the crime and violence rates like drop down to, to almost nothing and uh, they did the same kind of study when there's like a fight or a boxing match coming to a city and the crime and violence rates go up through the roof like exponentially so I, I guess by putting a bunch of like all these kids together in a classroom too, it's not just that one class that is going to have this wave of peacefulness wash over them. It's going to be all the surrounding classes everywhere. Everyone's going to kind of like, you know, just kind of decompress and chill out. And I feel that, you know, yeah. when you're training people to meditate one person at a time, you're adding to that volume of people who are out there helping everyone else who isn't meditating in a way. Right. And that's that's all I got to say. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. I think it's great. I think anything any anything any of us can do to forward world peace and forward um you know, awakening in others. Yeah. To move us away from this crazy world of stress and anxiety. I mean, I can't even tell you how many people come to me who are suffering from depression, anxiety, high blood pressure. I have someone with Crohn's disease, breast cancer, MS, lupus, you name it, adrenal fatigue, they come through this door. And all of those things are directly related to stress. Right. They're all stress-related diseases that can be preventable. I'm not going to suggest that meditation is a cure-all, but it certainly can help 
prevent certain things from happening. Prevent things? You can just settle your physiology and your mind will follow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it's hard to get someone who is high strung already to kind of believe you to sit down for a minute. Even one minute is what I well, tell then, people. I'm like, just yeah, the, one com minute. the common excuse is I don't have the time. <laughs> and you're exactly, you're the person who needs to meditate. If you say you don't have time to spend five minutes in stillness, yeah. you're the person who needs it the most. Yeah. Because everyone has time. And really, here's the thing. The silence is always there. We're the ones who leave. Mm. We're the ones who leave. We think that we have to work 51 weeks a year just so we can take that one week off on vacation <laughs> when, in fact, we can take a vacation every single day in our own home yeah. if we didn't meditate. Yeah. That's the other funny thing about people who say they don't have the time. These are the same people who will wake up. If they're going on vacation, for example, let's say they're, they're going to go somewhere, um, they will wake up several hours early to go on that vacation to prepare and get ready. But it's like, if yeah. it's your everyday life, you can't wake up five minutes early. No, 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 I need my sleep. And it's like, yeah, but if you're going to go do something fun later, you have no problem waking up an hour early or two hours early to prepare and, and go and do the thing. a hunting trip, a fishing trip, camping, all these things. People wake up hours earlier, but, you know, Oh no, that's just for that one day of the year that they're going to do something. But maybe spread it out a little bit, you know. Uh, and I always tell people, just start with one minute. You know, don't even push it. Don't push yourself. Like one minute. I remember um, because I started meditating when I was nine, but as I got into like my late twenties, you know, that kind of I got more into a. Uh, I was in a band and touring and, and partying and late nights. The meditation went on the back burner for several years. And, mm -hmm. and it's mm -hmm. probably within like the last five to, to six years that I got really back into it, like hardcore. And I remember that first minute was like, oh my God, is, I did like 10 minutes. And I looked at the time and it's like, no, you haven't even done one minute yet. So I understand. Yeah. I know that feeling when you're just like, oh, I can't sit here this long. But the next day, I was like, okay, that one minute was was hell. Let's try and do two minutes today. And and then, you know, now I do an hour every morning now. Like, it's nothing. And it's the time just goes yeah. by. You don't even notice it. And uh, Right. Well, it's a practice of it. Well, that's what it is. It's just a practice. Yeah. It's a practice of training your physiology to simmer down. Yeah. Uh, practicing... And people think, oh, I'm supposed to sit down. I'm not supposed to think at all. Well, that's not the practice. The practice no. is that when you do think, that you remind yourself to return to the stillness. Whether you use a mantra or your breathing or whatever to do that, it doesn't matter. But the practice is in noticing that you are thinking. That's the practice. Yeah. <laughs> people get this crazy, funny idea that we're supposed to stop thinking when we meditate. And so... Because I'm supposed to stop thinking when I meditate. There's no way in the world I can meditate. No, which is you'd, just not the case. You'd be dead if you stopped thinking. <laughs> That's right. Um, you wouldn't be able to get home. No. The The cool thing is um, I've noticed in life where it, it resonates elsewhere is that I don't – I mean, hey, we're human. We're still going to get angry. You know, you're going to stub your toe and you're going to go, ah, but you're going to catch yourself a lot quicker. And then you're not going to blame yourself. Right. 
And all those thoughts that spiral downward after stubbing your toe, they're not going to continue. And you're not going to move into this, oh, my day is ruined. It's going to be one of those kind of days. You're not going to do that because you're gonna, it's thinking. And just like in meditation, you catch yourself thinking and you go, ah, I'm thinking again. Oh, let it go. And it's the same thing. You know, it's an angry thought. Um, oh, I'm thinking again. Yeah, I don't need to, you know, project into my entire day now. It's saying I'm going to have a bad day because I stubbed my toe in the morning. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned mantra. If you do a mantra, have yes. you, do you do a mantra like with transcendental meditation? I teach, I, yes, I teach mantra-based meditation. Yeah. So I um, figure the mantra out on the date, based around the date, time, and location of your birth. Okay. Which is the, un, the sound that the universe was making at the moment you came from the unmanifest into the manifest. Okay. So it's the most powerful vibrational sound on the planet for you. Right. And that, that's what I give to my students when I teach my course. Right. And then I train them around that because it gives you a nice, safe place to land. Yeah. Uh, when your thoughts are going nuts. <laughs> yeah. I mean, geez, I started doing... So for, for me. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> I just for me that seems to be the most the most powerful form of meditation that I've found so far. Right. And I don't, you know, I'm just the kind of person that doesn't need any help with more distractions. So to have somebody guide me in meditation on an app or something would not work for me, I don't think. Hmm. Um, so I prefer to use the mantra. Yeah, I've tried those apps like, she's uh, the the headspace and all that and oh a couple yeah. there's a couple a couple are okay i mean it's very beginner kind of stuff and uh i mean it's the things that you you know it's like be calm and yeah i, I can't even reproduce yeah. it it's so it's so basic but uh the yeah. mantra the mantra meditation once i had figured that out i for me it was a challenge i was like okay what is the big deal with transcendental meditation. And that was kind of like my, I was on a mission yeah. to decode and find out why, why is it a thousand dollars to take this course? What is the big secret? Oh when gosh. I, when I finally uncovered it. That's not it, what I charge. When I uncovered it, it was like, oh, it's a mantra. And it's the exact same thing. It's based off of your date of birth and the time you were born and all. And they've right. got a little chart and it tells you, but theirs comes down to a Sanskrit word that is some uh, like a Hindu god or goddess or something, and uh, it's the word is technically not supposed to have any meaning, but they tell you to not research the meaning of the word that they give you because if you were to research it, it would you know give meaning to the word, and then maybe you're sitting there, and the meaning of your word is the the, the god of thunder, for example. You're gonna think about thunder the whole time <laughs> as you say it over and over again. Exactly. So, exactly. Your mantra doesn't mean anything. Yeah. I took um it doesn't mean anything. So I took syllables and I put just a bunch of syllables in a hat and I picked out three and I came out with ra, ma, and sa. R A M A S A. Oh. And in that order, and I was like, oh cool, there's my mantra. That's I just go through that in my Good. mind. And it I I mean, whew, after doing so many different kinds of meditation in, in my life and then doing that, and it was amazing how how incredible. It just brings you back to this thing of yeah. of, of where you want to be. Yeah. 
And, and very powerful. Very powerful. And all it is is you just settling down and being still. That's all it is. Exactly. There's nothing more to it is just returning to that state of wholeness. Yeah. In body, mind, and spirit. Yeah. So like, um, like follow the breath, which is like a very common one. For me, I'm following the yes. breath, and I'm and I'm going like, breathe in, breathe out. But then my brain starts to go, oh, breathing, lungs, and I can picture lungs and the chambers opening and closing, and everything about breathing and lungs, and my belly's rising, and and all these thoughts are happening as I'm trying to like you know relax and and, and clear the mind of of all this stuff. It even just breathe in, breathe out. It adds so many extra layers that are kind of like not needed when I go into the mantra. The mantra is just Ramasa, Ramasa, and, you know, nothing comes up. Sometimes little letters of the word Ramasa comes up, but it doesn't last very long. Mm -hmm. um, so are you also into yoga? I guess I should probably ask that question. Yes, yes, <laughs> I am, you know, that's part of my practice. Cool. Pranayama yoga, meditation. It is the whole body, mind, spirit, and then the Ayurvedic eating. So it's all about it. It's all interconnected. Yeah. And, you know, you could, just like you were talking about earlier, I mean, you could you could do all the weight training in the world, and if you're not feeding your body properly, you're still going to have trouble somewhere. Yeah. And you can do all the yoga in the world and never practice eating properly or doing any meditation and, and you, you do better, but you may not have the full possible possibilities that you could have. Yeah. You're not going to get all three. You're not going to feel the whole thing. Because really yoga is the word means union. I mean, it means union and body, mind, and spirit. That's all that yoga means. Yeah. Like marrying. And so doing the asana practice by itself is not fully yoga, as we were talking about earlier, right? right. The eight limbs of yoga. Right. So what do you think about like this whole like uh, this whole like Instagram fad of yoga that's that's been exploding all over the Internet? It's like well, a, it's a big thing now. Uh, Supermodels doing poses in, in, in things. Right. In their... I think that. First of all, I believe that the practice of the yoga asanas is one of the most um, complete physical emotional, spiritual, physiological exercises that's available to us on the planet. Yeah. It works your cardiovascular, your digestion, your circulatory, every system, every muscle, every nerve, everything in your body. And there's nothing more complete out there in terms of exercise, in my opinion. And I think if, if you're going to practice yoga, it really doesn't matter to me if you're going to make it a new fad or not, as long as you come away feeling as great as you we typically do when we are in yoga. Yeah. And do I like the fact that yoga has become commercialized and westernized? No. Um, I don't really think it's, I think it, it's unfortunate that we've lost sight of the idea of the true spiritual tradition of yoga as westerners. Yeah. And that sometimes some of these yoga studios are more like exercise studios and they have competitions <laughs> for how many days a week you can come to yoga. And if you do it X number of days, we'll give you a prize. <laughs> I think that's kind of silly. Yeah. But I think whatever gets you on the mat is really the big thing. 
And I, you know, and for, for my own practice in terms of who I am as a teacher of meditation, um, I honestly really hope that the practice of meditation doesn't go down that westernized route yeah. now as yeah. well. And I just, I just commit as a, as a meditation instructor that for, for me, if you learn meditation from me, it won't be commercialized. I will always try to do my best to remind us all of the ancient tradition and the ancient practice that meditation is. Right. But, you know, sort of whatever gets you there, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the one, I mean, the one positive thing about yoga becoming mainstream is just that more people are doing it and more people are, even if they're not doing it the full, you know, they're not, they're not becoming a vegan and they're not meditating and they're not doing uh, ahimsa and they're not doing all the things to make it like truly what it could be. They're not entering even a flow state. Some of these people, um, they're still doing it and they're doing something and maybe, you know, that, that someone in the youth who looks up to them is going like, Oh, like my aunt does this yoga thing who maybe I'm going to try that. And then maybe that youth will, you know, take it all the way. So I feel that, uh, for that reason, uh, just being out there and being visible is really good for, uh, yoga as a whole. Um, I don't want to say the yoga industry, but I guess for the lack of a better word, <laughs> the yoga industry. Oh God, let's not. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I got certified what? close to three years ago or two years ago to teach. And I've been doing it for four or five years and, uh, I love it. I, geez. And I do it every day. Like I don't, I don't miss a day, but I remember a long yeah. time ago, I remember a friend of mine who was going to, she was like, Oh, I got to go do, I got to go to yoga. And I like, you just went yesterday. She's like, she goes, yeah, but I'm doing a 30 day challenge. And I was like, yes, a challenge. That's my point. And at $18 a class and I was in marketing at the time, I was like, what kind of genius dreamed this up? You know, yep. Oh, we're going to get all these students to come in every day of the month at $18 a class to do hot yoga, hot moksha yoga. And, uh, <laughs> right. I mean, yeah, it's good. It's great. It, it work it out, you know, but I mean, you don't got to call it a challenge. You just got to go just do it on your own. Yeah. And it's just funny because coming from the studio was the one inventing these challenges. You know, it wasn't the person themselves challenging themselves. It came more from a money-making kind of scheme point of view and I kind of scoffed at it at the time and back then I wasn't doing yoga I was working out in a gym and I remember trying this this yoga a couple times I was like this isn't for me I, this isn't it. there's not enough you know it's it's not powerful enough and then one day uh, actually when I when I was in LA the old arthritis hit and I knew because I had researched it before that yoga was one of the only things that will help uh, stop it from getting any worse. So it's been a daily mm -hmm. daily part of my life because of that. And, yeah. Uh, and then, then it just well, grew. We remain consistent. It's awesome. Yeah. Um, well, it's, it's been great chatting with you, yeah. and I really appreciate the time. Oh, thank you for, for being here. It's been great. Yeah. I think we really Yeah, went... and I look forward to chatting with you again. And if you're ever in San Diego, come by and see us. It's something house. I will do that for sure. And uh, so where can yeah. people where can people find you? So Satsang? Um, you can find me on my website at www.satsanghouse, S-A-T-S-A-N-G, house, 
dot net net dot net yeah cool. and there's all kinds of lists of classes and things that I do and teach and all that good stuff and phone number to call and all that right and I read the about you page amazing there's yes. such a wealth of information in there for anyone who's interested in learning more and just yeah. one one more thing before you go um yes. you mentioned in your email footer visiting tibetan buddhist monks are coming to satsang oh House. yes tell, tell yes. us about that real quick oh my goodness yes i was contacted by um some tibetan buddhist monks who are visiting Southern California, and they asked if I would be interested in helping host them to perform some of their sacred ceremony. So they will be here this Sunday, and they will be doing a green Tara ceremony, a Tibetan green Tara ceremony. And then they will will come back the next weekend, and they're going to do a sand mandala. They're going to construct construct a mandala at my house and they're going to be here all day long and then um that evening we're having a party and they're going to stay for the party and then the next morning we'll come back and do the ritualistic dismantling of the mandala by um, bringing the sand back to the beach and sending it back into nature and then they're going to do a medicine buddha ceremony wow so I'm quite blessed with this very special visit from these folks, and I'm very much looking forward to sharing it with my community here in San Diego. That's amazing. Um, you're going to have to, I'll have to talk to you again because I want to find out how they add the color to the sand. Oh, yeah, I'll ask. Yeah. I will ask. Cool. Yeah, it's really nice. They're, they're giving sand to each participant who's yeah. here. Um, they're giving um, each participant some of the sand that they bless before we send it back to nature. Yeah. I mean, I was just watching it a few days ago on, on like a YouTube video as they were making these mandalas. And it's so intricate. Oh. It's so, so small. It just blows my mind. Amazing. How, amazing how they it's can absolutely so intricate. Amazing. So intricate. And you know what that is about, right? That's a ritual ceremony to teach us about impermanence. Yeah. They spend, they'll probably spend 12 hours making it out of yeah. the sand, painstakingly, yeah. creating this gorgeous design. Right. And then they just pick it up and let it fly. Yeah. <laughs> it's gone. And that in it. Nuts. So even the making of it in itself is a form of meditation when you're so like focused. Absolutely. And you get, Absolutely. Into, that, get into that flow Absolutely. state. And just reminding us that beauty doesn't last forever. Pain doesn't last forever. Joy doesn't last forever. Grief doesn't last forever. You know, that the most important thing that we can all remember is to live in the here and now. Right. And that is what's so beautiful about that whole ceremony. Sounds beautiful. Thank you, Maggie yes. Kelly, for being here today. This has been Yes, a you're bless- welcome, a and thank you so much for having me. Alrighty, you're welcome. All right, take care. Bye bye. Beautiful week. You too. Thank you. Bye bye. Oh, that was so cool. What an amazing person. Thank you so much, Maggie Kelly, for doing this show and sharing everything that you had to share with the listeners. If you want to get in touch with Maggie, her website again is Satsang House. S A T S A N G. 
H-O-U-S-E dot net. Or you can email her, Maggie, M-A-G-G-I-E, at satsanghouse.net. Or find her through any of the other social media outlets, which are all posted on her website. And so, we end this, another powerful installment of Beyond the Mat. Peace, love, and light. Namaste. And all that other good noise. Ding! Thank <laughs> you.